Hey, it's Chris, the Supply Chain Doctor. Over the years, I've interviewed some of the brightest minds and successful leaders in supply chain management. In May 2020, I sat down with supply chain leader Ken Ackerman to learn more about him and collect a little supply chain management history. After the interview, Ken told me about a similar interview he had with Dr. Jim Stock many years prior and the related work Dr. Stock did. In November 2020, I was able to catch up with Dr. Stock to learn about him and his work. As an academic in the world of transportation, logistics, and what we now call supply chain management, Jim was well connected to many of the original academic thought leaders in the space. Jim did interviews with many of these thought leaders and shared them with me. The list includes Ken Ackerman, Don Bowersox, James Haskett, Bud Lalonde, John Langley Jr., Tom Menser, Tom Spee, and Daniel Wren. To carry on the great work started by Dr. Jim Stock, I'm dusting off these interviews and bringing them to you to help you get a better understanding of supply chain management and hopefully become a more effective supply chain professional. Just managing the design of stuff was boring. Managing the people who did that was pretty interesting stuff. So at the end of my year, now I did, it's just something about the, the, the kind of school that I went to, I had to get permission from the, uh, the plant manager you know, where I worked to change my major. And I changed from uh, mechanical engineering to what's called industrial administration. And at the time, the only places that offered a degree in industrial administration was um, uh, uh, Indiana offered a master's in it and we offered a bachelor's degree. And it was a des degree designed for people to manage the technical staffs of of companies so i took a lot of the same engineering classes uh actually all my classes transfer you were going to ask about kind of surprise what would be a, a surprise i think for a lot of people it's that i don't have an undergraduate degree in engineering uh, i have an undergraduate in, uh, degree in industrial administration mm -hmm. um, so when i got to the the senior year, uh, I wasn't thinking about a, um, a, a professional MBA, um, engineering, or engineering type MBA. Um, I was actually thinking about, uh, uh, you know, being a manager. And, uh, you know, it, it's, how, it's how kind of these, you kind of stumble into some of these things. Um, the uh, um, the plant where I worked for a while, the the, uh, um, the 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 plant manager needed a public relations rep. All right. Well, I had no experience, no training, and he said, "Tom, I need you to to, to act as for the next couple of months to act as the 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 PR rep for the plant. <coughs> We're changing your assignment. You're not going to be working in." in the paint department, you're gonna be doing this. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I have no qualifications. And he said, you've got all the qualifications. <laughs> and I said, what, what do you mean? And he said, all you have to do is look good in a tuxedo and be able to play golf. And I said, well, I, I can do both those, you know? So I was the PR rep. And when, you know, there was something, a problem at the plant and somebody stuck a microphone in someone's face, I was the guy who got the mic microphone stuck on my face. And I handled a couple of things that were 
you know, kind of minor problems, but they, but they could have become big problems if they weren't handled well. Uh, and I got noticed by a guy named John DeLorean, you know, who was kind of the refiner of the Corvette and uh, very famous in GM. And he still, he hadn't left yet. He, he was still a rising star, kind of seen as the next president of, of General Motors. Um, this is before he you know, became disillusioned with them and left. And I, and I mean, this is kind of a funny story. I got, I, I was sitting in my office and I literally got a phone call. My secretary comes on in this kind of hushed tone and she says, uh, Mr. DeLorean's on the phone for you. And I almost picked up the phone and said, you've got the wrong number. This is the Queen of Sheba's office. And I thought, no, it just could be true. You know, so I picked up the phone and said, hey, John, how you doing? He said, Tom, I wonder, I'm going to be uh, at the plant the next uh, uh, next week, and I want to see if you want to go out to dinner. Like, I'm going to say no to my boss's 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 boss to go to dinner. So I said, yeah, you know, you set the thing up with my secretary. So his people talk to my people. Uh, you know, we go out to dinner. I, you know, immediately hung up and called my my. Uh, my boss and said what the heck's going on he said well John called me first and he had noticed and he wants to talk about what you said he just wants to you know he's looking for somebody to take under his wing and he wants to kind of see what your plans are for you know for the future and for GM and what you're going to do when you graduate and so forth and and that's pretty much what dinner was about so uh, you know, what he wanted to do was talk about uh, uh, my career plans and what I wanted to do with General Motors. And, you know, when I graduated, was I staying? And and, and GM gave out, uh, back then GM was 53% market share. Life was good. And uh, for two deserving executives, they gave what were called GM fellowships. And GM Fellowship was they would pay the executive they, to take the year or two years, whichever school they picked, um, to go back to uh, um, go back and get their MBAs. Um, and actually, that year, the, a little interesting uh, sideline of my life is my one of my closest friends and certainly my closest studying buddy when I was at GM was uh, Stanley O'Neill, the guy who used to be CEO of. Uh, what was it, Morgan Stanley or whatever, but the guy that got to retire with a hundred and sixty million in stock options and Stanley Stanley did okay. Uh, Stanley went to Harvard, um, and Stanley went to Harvard, and John wanted me to go to Harvard to get my MBA, and uh, we got to talking about what I wanted to do with my career, and. I mean, this is an executive, not a an academic advisor. Uh, and he said, "You know, Tom, you're you're more you're more of a marketing and logistics guy." Uh, well, big surprise. That's exactly what DeLorean was. You know, he was the 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 big supposedly the the big marketing thinker in GM and and concerned about changing the way we distributed cars and 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 stuff. And he said. He said, "You know, Harvard. Harvard is the is a great school. Um, uh, you know, and you certainly can't argue that. But the 
the and I liked his, his phrase. He said the the Harvard of marketing and logistics schools is Michigan State. You know, and I think you could argue at the time that Ohio State was had was in the game, but um, they were in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, we will, and he just kind of laid it out. And he said, if you want to go back uh, and think about you're a, you're a B, B, uh, IA, you've got a bachelor's in industrial administration, think about the part to manage would be the marketing side, you know, the, the creating demand and getting people to, to want the car, and how do we get it to them, the logistics side. That's the first time I'd ever heard marketing and logistics used together um, so he said you know take some time to think about it which meant by time coffee's over I want an answer mm-hmm. and you know when dinner was done I said John I don't see how I can turn this down you know I'm graduating uh, uh, in uh, uh, in nine months I can go ahead and apply now uh, you you kind of pick uh, what you can work you know, have me work for a year or just head right on into the MBA. Uh, and he said, you know, I'd rather you went ahead and got this done. You know, so rather than having you come work for a year, you know, we were going to bring you to tech center and everything. Why don't you just, you know, we'll, we'll go, go ahead and apply if you can get in Michigan State. We're kind of laughing because I had, uh, I mean, I had dean's list, regular dean's list grades at GMI. So, you know, getting in wasn't a big deal. And he's he's the guy who kind of talked me into the, the you ought to go ahead and get the MBA. But it was to to think about what you're going to run in the world's largest corporation once you get that degree. It was still very much aimed at, at uh, managing something. Mm-hmm. And how did you move into the academic <laughs> arena? Was that during? Obviously, something happened during the master's program. Yeah, yeah. The next, the the next step was, uh, you know, I got in the program and uh, uh, started taking these. I, I walked into my first class, and um, how he ever got roped into this? But uh, I walked into the first class I was going to have at Michigan State. This is 1974, I guess. Eight o'clock. Somebody got stuck with teaching the MBA 8 o'clock marketing principles class and in walked my instructor, some guy named Don Bowersox. And Don was actually teaching the class, you know, an 8 o'clock class, which nobody, nobody wants, and took a class from Don. Don was, a, I think, was a very um, astute scholar at picking out quality uh, MBAs that ought to be PhDs, and kind of identifying those guys that that really ought to move. Excuse me, that really ought to move on to the academic career. So over the next, I took a couple of classes uh, uh, from him. Uh, he kind of kept an eye on me in the marketing and logistics classes. I was taking. Uh, spring comes, you know, and I'm going to finish. I'm fast-tracking this, the, the MBA because I'd had so many of the courses already as an undergrad. Uh, GMI required uh, a thesis to graduate, get your undergraduate. Um, the people in the GM fellowship program had to do a thesis. 
Uh, so usually, you know, you'd be there and that last six months would be doing the thesis. Well, I, I went to the dean of the graduate school and said, I'm supposed to do a thesis for the MBA. I've already done one and, you know, here it is and kind of, you know, read through it. And he said, you know, we can waive that requirement. So essentially they waived the last six months of the, the doctoral or the, the MBA. So I was fast track. I was looking at being back at GM um, by, I guess that would have been spring of 76, some, somewhere, or somewhere along those lines. Um, that sounds about right. I mean, somewhere, somewhere kind of that, that timeline. And you, you asked about meeting John Delore. Yeah, I, I was over at John's. This is when he was still married to Christine Ferrara. And, you know, I was over for dinner, you know, one night and talking about when are you going to finish and, you know, what do you want to do? And they all but handed me GM Parts Division. And he said, you know, Tom, when you graduate, one of the things we've really got to figure out in this company is how to manage all these parts that we carry at thousands of dealerships uh, for people who have hundreds of different models of our cars. And we need somebody who can talk about, you know, that, that can intelligently manage all these salespeople that we have to go out and sell to dealerships, but we need somebody who can also deal with the suppliers. Well, I think John was thinking about this all along. Um, you know, this is the job I want this guy to have, but this is the training. And, he, and in his mind, he just saw the MBA as, as you know, getting the training to do the job. So, so what he was saying was, you're, you're essentially going to take the number two job in what was a very good size division, uh, not one we most of us noticed, but it was Mr. It's Mr. Goodwrench, you know. It's, and again, you got to remember this was a this was still the largest corporation in the world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and the number one guy has already said that he's staying five years at the most. So this is your way to kind of get trained and prove yourself. And then we, we want you to step in and, and take over this thing. Um, that would have put me uh, at 30, less than 30 years old um, maybe 30, and probably 30 years old. That would have that would have put me uh, three levels down from president of the company. Uh, so this was this real was serious fast track. At the same time, I've got Don Bowersox talking to me, <laughs> and Don is saying, you know, given the way you approach things in class, you're a natural teacher. You you love to teach. You're you're good at teaching. Uh, he talked about research and you know the um, you know finding the answers to to questions out there and and writing articles and publishing and you know and actually and over at my house for you know for beer parties occasionally and you know and uh, um, you know came, as as only Don can do became a you know a kind of a mentor influencer a little more than a mentor. Um, so, I mean, I, I came to this, I went through this couple months of going back and forth about captain of industry, um, going on, become, staying a student. My father was going crazy at this time. You're, you're going to give up 
a, a major position with General Motors to be a teacher. You know, and he, he just he just wasn't taken taken too well to this idea. Um, but um, I mean, and up until the day he died, he was still sending me articles about you know PhDs don't can't find jobs and don't get paid well. And I'd always say, Dad, I've got a job. I'm getting paid well. Look, you know, things are going okay. Uh, but uh, he was he was he was again it uh, to use the West Virginia um, the the West Virginia phrase and I, I finally came down the side of uh, uh, we've laughed since I said you know I, I really like this this teaching stuff and I don't know whether I'm gonna be good at at uh, research but I'd like to give it a try you know I always said well 200 books and 150 some articles later the research thing uh, or what did I say 200, eight, eight books and 150 articles plus um, later this research gig seems to be working out okay but uh, um, I finally went to John and um, to his credit laid all this thing out and said you know I know you've, you've invested a lot of time and effort in me um, I want you to tell me what makes us square you know if you want me to walk away from Michigan State and this is where Don Bowersox was starting a, a, another big of his big uh, modeling projects and this is a chance Tom for you to be involved and we'll be working with Whirlpool and Union Carbide and uh, uh, which still existed at the, at the time and Johnson and Johnson, you know, and and it's a, it's really a chance for you to get involved in a big research project. And was that the Loreps model? That, that was the uh, that was the Loreps model was the the uh, uh, forerunner. Uh, it was the it was the, the the father of the model we worked on. Mm -hmm. Spay worked on, I believe he did. Spay worked on the the Loreps model. Uh, Tom was two or three years ahead of me. Uh, in coming out of Michigan State, uh, but I worked on the uh, SPSF simulated product sales forecasting mm. model, and it was the uh, same concept, but taking t the technology changed and rapidly in five years, and kind of building a planning model, but uh, uh, aimed more at uh, big surprise for for me, aimed more at forecasting demand and the marketing side and the logistics part of how you meet that demand. So mm -hmm. it had a lot of appeal to, to, to the marketing logistics guy um, in me. Um, uh, so I, you know, I talked to John, I said, you, you tell me, if it, five years? I mean, I, I'm, I mean, we're talking about essentially in, indentured servitude, but I owed this guy a lot. And to his credit, he said, look, you've, you've made a choice. It's not the choice I want you to make, but you've made a choice, and I'm not gonna stand in the way. And he said, the last project you worked, I always felt good about this. He said, the last project you worked on us is still saving this company a million dollars a year. I think you've more than paid for yourself. So we didn't get the payback we hoped for, um, but I think you ought to take the, the Michigan State. So he's the guy who said, go ahead and go back for the PhD if that's what you, that's what you want to try. Um, 
Now, interestingly enough, it was less than a year that he left and started the DeLorean Corporation. So I don't know whether he was already thinking about leaving or not. But. Now, after you finished your PhD degree uh, from Michigan State, how did you go about securing your first job at VPI? I, I went through the, the normal um, the normal marketing process, and I think this was an eye-opener for, uh, for Don, because Don was used to, logistics was a new area, you know, and it was just starting to kind of develop, and you had people at a couple of schools that, you know, when, when you had a student graduating, you called up Bud Lalonde, and you said, Bud, you got an opening. I got a really good student graduating, why, why don't you hire him? You know, and Bud had him down for the day, and if he liked him, he, uh, you know, hopefully hired him. And, or if it wasn't uh, uh, Ohio State, it, but it was a handful of schools. Mm -hmm. And I came out just at the time that, for whatever reason, more and more schools were saying, we need to cover all of marketing. You know, marketing ought to have, the marketing department ought to have uh, a, somebody who teaches um, and this was when we had a lot more state resources coming in. Um, the, uh, we need somebody who can teach product management, and we need somebody who can teach pricing, and we need, wait for it, somebody who can teach logistics, you know, and we need somebody who can teach promotion. So suddenly the American Marketing Association was getting interested, at least the academics were getting interested in logistics again. and instead of two or three schools that Don could kind of pick up the phone and work the network, um, suddenly you had a hundred and some schools that weren't specifically looking for somebody in logistics, but wouldn't mind having somebody. Um, this is when a lot of the, uh, the academics who came along during the NASA years were retiring. Um, so there were, every school was hiring. You know, the phone was just ringing off the hook with people who wanted a date with me and just wanted to talk. And I, I did the normal, went to the uh, um, 1977, yeah, 1977 uh, American Marketing Association Summer Educators Conference. And pretty much the only thing that a conference exists for is for all the graduating PhD students to get together with all the, the uh, faculty at schools and start looking for jobs. And I had, I think I, think I had 24 interviews in like a three-day period, you know, these hour-long interviews, uh, and, and turned down an incredible number of schools. Uh, not because I was a hot candidate, Everybody was a hot candidate. Everybody had 20-plus interviews. Um, and what you did was you went home from those and, you know, you decided, which school would I like to visit? You know, and visit is where you go in for a couple of days and, and uh, you interview and you do a seminar and kind of a, kind of a standard thing with the, uh, uh, for the faculty. And the faculty's back there deciding who to have in. And I had six campus interviews. And I mean, for years, you know, uh, more than two or three was unheard of. And again, six wasn't uh, out of the realm of, of normalcy. 
uh, I had other, you know, I had colleagues at other schools that were the same thing. They were, you know, they were going to half a dozen schools. And Virginia Tech was an accident. One of the guys who graduated from Michigan State a couple of years ahead of me, I was when I was an MBA, was a guy named Paul Anderson. Mm. And I just happened to bump into Paul at the winter, uh, literally at the at the the uh, the conference. And they were not on my interview schedule. You know, the thing was filling up, and Paul said, "You know, we got three openings. Three openings." You know, and we really like to would, would really like to add somebody who's got some logistics interest. Uh, you will you're interested in talking to Virginia Tech? Well, you know, I grew up right across the river from Virginia. And, you know, I I grew up in a, a part of West Virginia that's culturally more Virginia than it is than it is West Virginia. Um, so I sort I knew I knew a lot about the University of Virginia. I knew a lot about Virginia Tech, you know, about it as a as a technical school. Um, so I just, as a courtesy to a friend, I just more or less said, "Yeah, I'll talk to you." And they, they were like the little engine that could. You know, they were going to be my my first interview, so it was going to be practice. Well, I had a great interview with them. You know, so I just kind of liked Virginia Tech. Um, <laughs> interviewed at other schools. And I had I had offers for faculty positions after six campus interviews. Uh, let's see, University of Massachusetts uh, made me an offer. Uh, Georgetown, George Washington, um, uh, Iowa State. Um, let's see, I'm forgetting who the fifth one was. And Virginia Tech. Um, and uh, so I interviewed some pretty, you know, some pretty good schools, especially in what they've done in logistics, uh, you know, or uh, uh, in the, the quantitative side of marketing, what they've done through the years. Um, so, uh, um, uh, you know, the, and, I, and I kept, oh, I know, it was uh, Texas Tech. And it kept coming down to, you know, Georgetown's too much of a uh, teaching school, although I will, uh, I will say that uh, uh, one of my strangest experiences was uh, they threw, you know, they always threw these little cocktail parties for you. And, you know, my cocktail party, and I can't think of his name, who's, was, who was Secretary of State under Nixon and Ford, the, the German guy? Kissinger? Kissinger, thank you. Kissinger. Thank you. We can cut that out. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, well, one of the adjunct faculty at Georgetown was Kissinger. And he just kind of, whenever they wanted, he'd come in and teach a, um, you know, he'd teach a class on uh, detente or on uh, brinkmanship or whatever. So I literally, I went to the cocktail party. And the faculty stand around and make, make bad jokes and then they laugh at your bad jokes, and you know, and you 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 talk, you decide whether you get, you could work together or not. And suddenly behind me, I hear this. So we're thinking about hiring you at, at Georgetown. I can't do the the grumbling voice. And I turn around, and it's Henry Kissinger. You know, and Henry had deigned to stop in for the cocktail party, and talk this Michigan State PhD and to join the faculty. And you know, I just I almost took the job right there, yeah. <laughs> you know, and 
So you know, the, you know, Brenda and I were were not married yet, but thinking, think kind of thinking about this marriage stuff at that point. And we were talking about, do we really want to live near D.C. and um, uh, you know, and uh, uh, we're not really sure sure we want to do this or not. Um, so we we cut for various reasons. We cut various schools out. Uh, Iowa State, I loved. I loved the faculty. Um, uh, I loved what they were doing. You know, would love to have been a part of it. But they had me out there just before Christmas, and man, it's cold in Iowa. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I kind of came back and told Brenda, I said, you know, I'm really, I'm, I'm tired of winter. Um, and what it, it kind of came down to Texas Tech or Virginia Tech, and I've never lived west of the the uh, the Mississippi. And you know the idea of living out in Texas and uh, you know someplace different, although it's definitely in the middle of nowhere uh, in Lubbock. And to Virginia Tech again it was like a little engine that could. I kept looking at these other schools and I'd kind of eliminate them. But I still got this offer from Virginia Tech, and I finally realized that's kind of where we wanted to go. And so, you know, it's a long answer because it was a long process. It took from the beginning of August to just the day before Christmas to kind of say, which job do you want to take? Because I had that unique position we get sometimes in our industry where I had more offers than I knew what to do with. Which is always good. Always. The Supply Chain Doctor interviews thought leaders and visionaries who have had an impact on the field of supply chain management, shares professional development concepts for practitioners, and investigates current and future trends in the industry. Interested in sponsoring this show to help you get your message out? Send a note to chris at thescdr.com. We can also help with world-class supply chain education and workshops for you and your team. Thanks for listening.